Hello, everybody. This is David Goldsmith, and welcome to another edition of Redefining Tomorrow. It's here where we discuss topics that may redefine your future, that may redefine how we live on this planet, or any other type of redefining you might consider. A quote that I've lived by since I've been, I think it's 12, it is, you can't fix yesterday, you can only create tomorrow. And today we're going to be redefining tomorrow. We're going to be exploring on this program today the journey of creating a resonance ecosystem. And we have Alan Rays today with us. How are you today, Alan? I am very good, David. Uh, looking forward to this conversation because I know it's going to be as uh, informative for me as it is going to be for, for you and the listeners. Uh, the... Alan and I met through a mutual friend. He lives in South Africa and absolutely amazing individual. He runs the, as the economist says, the only genuine incubator in Africa, uh, supporting over 500 businesses. Uh, Ray's Corp has uh, worked with over 13,000 businesses over 21 years. And the reason he said he's going to learn as much from me as from uh, through our conversation is even coming up with this title. One of the areas that I think Alan is brilliant at is the ability to be able to create this amazing ecosystem. And we had a long, long talk when creating our title, which is why we're here today. So, Alan, do you have a outline for us? Uh, David, I've got a couple of um, talking points or bullet points, uh, ideas that I'm happy to share. So what are they? And I'll write them down and then we'll get going. All right. So I think uh, the first point is uh, paradigms, is that, uh, that uh, the concept of, of paradigms is a part of this journey to creating a resident ecosystem. Okay. Um, the creation of the ecosystems. Uh, or the deliberate creation of the eco, uh, ecosystems. Um, I think the the concept of pollinating those uh, uh, ecosystems, uh, the concept of progression, what is the plan for progression of uh, an entrepreneur that's evolving and growing in an ecosystem. Um, yeah, and uh, there are a few more, but I think uh, just knowing that this is going to go uh, in an interesting meander, I think that's enough. Uh, okay, so we've got four here: paradigm, uh, paradigms, uh, paradigms, the creation of ecosystems, pollinating the ecosystems, and progression of entrepreneurs in the ecosystem. So we're good. Yeah. So let's start with number one: the uh, paradigms. I love the word. Help me yeah, understand. So so, you know, you, you spoke about you coming here to South Africa and you you met with me and I met with you and we resonated. And, the, and there is something about that resonance that makes the relationship work. Um, and I suppose at a deep level, it's was that I benefit from my interactions from you and you benefit from your interactions from me. I can learn from you, you can learn from me. Or if you want to be more crude, I can get something from you and you can get something from me. So it's very important for, for me that um, when we started to build RaceCorp, that the people who we allowed into the ecosystem were deliberately chosen. 
that, that we chose people with what we call blue hearts, that ability to stand up again and again, the fight, that fighting spirit, so that everyone in the ecosystem that was selected had some commonality and had the ability to deliver value to one another. So that's really the, the starting point is, is uh, how we select our entrepreneurs. And why the economist, what was interesting is when I was speaking to the journalist from The Economist, one of the things that uh, he kept asking about was our selection process. And, and our selection process is, is uh, quite interesting in the sense that, first of all, one in 100 people who apply get in, and nowhere in that selection process do we ask for a business plan. And that's quite an intriguing thing in a business that is in the business of investing and supporting businesses that we are dis completely disinterested in the business plan. We are only interested in the individual and we have created a, a selection process that looks for certain characteristics, 27 different characteristics uh, in entrepreneurs and to different levels. And when we meet an entrepreneur who has those characteristics that we deem to be a fit for us, then they're allowed to enter into our programs. Okay. So I, I, I have to go back. I apologize. I have to ask Blue Heart, where does that come from? <clears throat> so Blue Heart um, is a, a name that we, our, our selection process is um, called the Purple Process. Uh, and it's basically the the um, discernment with those with red blood and blue blood um, and, and trying to discern the people with uh, this, this quality that we called Blue Heart. And it was just a name and it was just a piece of fun that started 20 years ago and just has stuck. And so, you know, Blue Heart is, uh, uh, you know, very much the ethos of what everyone in, in Race Corp looks for. Uh, when selecting entrepreneurs. Okay, so, and then uh, I, I'm going to want to hear many of these 27 characteristics. I want to understand them. Hmm. So we can do that first, or we could do that after, I think, a larger question. How did you get from before Raise Corp to this point to be able to deliberately choose Blue Hearts to be able to understand one in 100 and then be able to navigate where there is no business plan. You understand what I'm asking? I'm kind of going yeah. before, before the, before the plan, how did you get yes. to this? <laughs> so the, the quick um, high speed uh, version is I grew up to entrepreneurial parents um, and I was groomed to take over their business, and for reasons I won't go into, I didn't. Uh, I didn't go that route, um, and uh, landed up working for a friend of mine in a retail clothing business. Turned that business around, got into the newspaper, um, and a dollar billionaire uh, saw the article, phoned the uh, store that I was operating from. Um, and told me he was sending a driver to pick me up. 
um, he, I get picked up, taken to this man's um, offices. I, I don't know who he is or anything about him. He asked me a whole bunch of questions. At the end of the day, he says to, at the end of the meeting, he says, I'll back you in any business you like. Uh, just come up with a business and I'll back you. And I didn't believe him um, because that's quite a, a bizarre uh, incident. And um, two weeks later, he called back and he said, you know, what are you still doing at the, the store? And I said, you couldn't be serious. And he said, I couldn't be more serious. And then I started a new journey. And I, then I had to come up with a business and, uh, and it's something that was unique. And to me, you know, being a young 20-something-year-old, yeah, yeah, I certainly didn't have experience. I thought maybe I, I would be passionate. I needed to be passionate about something. I needed um, something different. And I came eventually up with a business called the New York Sausage Factory, which uh, was a fast food operation selling hot dogs. And everything was run by mom and pop operations in, in South Africa at the time. And this was a formal franchise that I developed. I sold him the idea and he said to me that uh, you need to go and sell this to uh, an individual which we'll call Negative Ned. Um, that's not his real name. He happened to be an accountant. And I went to Negative Ned and he said, it's a terrible idea, it'll never work. And I said, I promise you it'll work. Anyway, like a sports kid managed to convince this, uh, this mentor of mine that to back me, I, st I started that business, I launched the business and I never, couldn't make that business make money. I, I couldn't. And then about, um, sure, about uh, nearly a year into, into how much journey, did How much did he put into the business? And how it long? Wasn't relative, relatively speaking, it wasn't a lot. It was probably in, in US dollars terms, uh, no, no more than you know, 150,000 US dollars at the time. Okay. It wasn't. Okay. It wasn't that much. But it was. Um, it was a lesson he was letting letting happen. It was a lesson, and uh, and then I remember, you know, f you know, going to bed every night, seeing all negative Ned in the mirror as I was brushing my teeth, you know, <laughs> uh, and saying, "I told you so. I told you so." And in the morning, as I got up, I, and I worked seven days a week. I actually put myself in hospital. I worked. I just stopped eating, and I just was working because I refused to to fail. But at some point, I had to realize that I'd failed and um, finally plucked up the courage to go and admit my failure, set up a, a time to go see him in his penthouse suite. Uh, I remember going up in the, in the elevator, I was sweating and feeling all anxious now that, you know, I had failed. And I sort of walked through into his apartment and sort of very dramatically said, you know, if it takes me the rest of my life, I'll pay you back. I failed, and 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 like I was so nervous. And then he, he, sh he shouts out in this big voice. He says, "Sit down, sit down." And um, I sat down, and he said, "Did I back you, or did I back the business?" And yeah, I said, "You backed me." He says, "Well, right now, the the business has failed. If you walk out that door, you have failed. What would you do differently if you had to do that again?" So I said to him, well, I would change the menu, I changed the venue, I changed the pricing, and I gave him a whole list of things that I would change. And then he said to me, okay, I'm going to back you again, but I'm not giving you money. I'm giving you people. I'm going to surround you with a, he didn't use the word ecosystem, but with a, with a team of people who will support you to set up this up again. 
I'm going, uh, I own an advertising agency, the CEO of that advertising agency. He's going to help you think about the marketing. I own um, a, a distribution business, a, a, I own this, and he, and he basically gave me the CEOs of a number of his businesses to effectively support me in my thinking. And I managed, to, I don't know how to raise the money for the second store. I opened up a second store. And that second store took off. And, and why I'm telling you the story is because that's the basis for Racecorp. Is somebody gave me a set, not just a chance, but gave me a second chance. And, and, and then when I failed, refused to give me money, but gave me support. And if you think about what Racecorp is today, Racecorp is a paid forward for what happened to me. It's an environment that gives people a second chance, a chance and a second chance, somebody to believe in them, to get them uh, on, on their feet. And that's really been, is the core of where we're raised. I mean, Race Corp started still seven years later. I sold that business. I got into a vehicle security business for, for seven years and then I started Race Corp. And, and so, you know, that's, but that was the, effectively the, the my purpose, my reason for, for Race Corp. So in, in that experience, it, and I'm asking this because it obviously influenced you tremendously, what, what on a deeper level than he supported me did you get out of that experience that influences you today? That, that whole experience is fundamental to who I am today. The one thing about who he is, and he's still my mentor today, um, is he was a very harsh, um, hard mentor. And there were no frills. There was no ni nicety. Of course, he was very nice to me and good to me. But if there was a lesson to be learned, it wasn't about how can I tell this to you in a politically correct way that won't hurt your feelings. I remember just uh, as an aside, going to him, talking I had a, 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 a time, an hour set up with him. I went to see him at his, at his home. We were talking, uh, and he kept looking at his watch. And, uh, you know, I was obviously picking up the signal that uh, he was looking at his watch. And so I said to him, so, I, I, you know, are we out of time? He said, no, 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 we've, we've got an hour. I allocate an hour to you. But we're half an hour in, and uh, you spent the last half an hour telling me how great you are. Do you want to get any real value out of this, or do you want to spend the next half an hour uh, talking about how great you are? Wow! And that's sort of, <laughs> I mean that that kind of, and, and and you know and then you're angry in the time at the time you know and and but you know that kind of, he was right talking about all the great things I had achieved would get me no value. It was my ability to be vulnerable, my ability to be humble, my ability to look at how. I had failed that was more important for my success than just bragging about all the clever decisions that I'd made. So that happened to me in my 20s. And so me as a, a mentor today to a number of young entrepreneurs, I carry the same, um, it's called a sharp edge to the way that I mentor as a result of how I was mentored. Give me an example of how you today are humble and vulnerable 
and at the same time having the sharp edge? Well, I, you know, I was um, one, one of the, um, I, well, I don't know if you can talk about how I'm humble and um, well, no, the, I know, I know, but, but you, I have, you, you, under, you understand you're, you're talking about humble and vulnerable, but at the same time, you are acting like this, this mentor who didn't yes. sound humble and vulnerable. So yes. I'm trying to find a persona in there just so I can understand that. So I was um, involved in EO Entrepreneurs Organization, and they have a, um, which is a global um, organization. Uh, it started in the U.S. by Vern Harnish. I, I um, was I was around at the time with Vern when this all started. Yes, oh, fantastic. So in, in there is the concept of a forum, and uh, just like YPO. Uh, and there is this this ability to be in a safe space and a safe environment where you where you are amongst a, a group of people that you trust and feel safe. And I have subsequently left EO, um, and I've carried a number of the people who are in my forum where, where we meet once a month. And there is this fifteen years of experience together where. If I say something, they they call me on my BS, you know, and vice versa. Because we know each other that well, you need somebody who can hold you accountable. Somebody who can tell you that you you're talking uh, crap. Somebody who who can reflect back at you. Now I choose that. I choose to be in that. I choose to have that accountability and that mirror mirror in my face uh, at least once a month. I also, by the way, am married to a psychologist, and so I live it every day. So whether whether I get it in my forum, you do remember get, we had you do remember we had dinner together. Yes, yes. so <laughs> I, I happen to live with somebody who ensures that I um, understand how um, unimportant I, I am. Um, oh, uh, is, are you sure that's a psychologist or a wife? <laughs> I, I, can, I cannot answer that question. Okay. So I, I love that. And the reason I love it is because the answer you gave, I didn't anticipate is that you gave an answer of your ecosystem outside of the, uh, the corp where you are putting yourself in a similar position. And that's, that's what I want to, that's what I was trying to get out of this is how are you making sure there's a balance? Because it's very easy with the size of your organization to become arrogant in that you have built it, but you are every month returning back to the roots of being vulnerable and being humble. You know, David, if, if I'm completely frank here, in my late 20s, early 30s, when I started becoming successful, I, I went through a very arrogant phase. It's something I deeply regret. And when talking to my mentor about it, I asked him if he witnessed me being that arrogant because, you know, retrospectively, as I'm, I'm in my 50s now, um, I can recognize that that phase was an incredibly arrogant, overconfident, and, and perhaps not, not, not appropriately, um, without the appropriate substance behind it. It was just, you know, I, I'd just become successful. And I asked him if he if he 
saw that and he said absolutely he witnessed that so i said why didn't you if you know if you were so honest with everything else why didn't you reflect back on that and his his view was uh, you need to go through that if if i was watching you and you weren't evolving through it then i would have stepped in but you it's almost a rite of passage in, in a way that you have to go through that to come out on the other side to have experience so so in a weird way, he wanted me to go through it to come out on the other side. No, that's, uh, a, that's a great point because I, you had a mentor in that case, and I didn't. And it was a str- it's always it's been a struggle for me. So I understand that is you've achieved success, and here you are flaunting it, and you want to know you had someone you were very lucky to help to reflect on that with you. I think that's a, a very powerful position you were in. Yeah. Yeah. How long was he your how long was he by your side? He still is. He okay. still is. He's still um it's 30 years now. Um and uh, and you know what's what's uh, interesting is um that I still call I still call him um uh, for uh, insight, advice, uh, and I remember calling around COVID, calling him and saying, like, you know, what do I do here? <laughs> so he goes, I don't know. <laughs> I've never been through this. You know, like, But I can tell you something for free. And he shared with me, and maybe I can share that with you now. I mean, it's just a little a tidbit. Um, he said that if you do not see this, as your ship coming in, if you don't not see this as the biggest opportunity of your life, it won't be. So stop. If you are feeling in any way that you want to be defensive in any way, don't. This is the time to, to actually be aggressive and to seek out where the opportunities are more than any other time, because this is, is a, an incredible opportunity for an entrepreneur. That, and it changed my mindset. It it's, completely that's changed my fantastic mindset. advice. It's it's brilliant. Hmm. It, how did you feel when he said it? Not just what did you think, but how did you feel? Because he's basically slapping you. I, I, I felt um, I felt re- like like you were expecting an answer. That, you know, save the cash. You know, you almost anticipate what the, what the answer would be. And I just felt completely liberated and like wind beneath my wings, like I could now conquer the world. And I took that. What was interesting, that like literally a day later, I called all my CEOs of all the businesses that I'm involved in. And I shared with them that this, you know, this paradigm, once again, this lens on the world uh, was the right, was the lens that I believe we should all have. And so and then individually work with those CEOs in order to try and crystallize that notion of being aggressive and looking for opportunity into what it could specifically be for their business. So immediately I just passed that on to, to the people that I'm in, for the people that I look after uh, as well. Uh, I, I do love the advice that you were given. I love that you accepted it. 
because it was it's succinct in a in a narrative. It's succinct in a, it's short and precise to give some direction, which I love. So I, I'm going to take a small jump because I want to get back to the paradigms. You have then jumped into you select one in 100. I don't know if you plan on going this over this later, but we could do that. And the other one is the 27 characteristics. How did they evolve? And how did you get to this one in 100? Because you didn't start off that no, way. So, I don't think that's a no, skill. No, that- I didn't start off that way. So it actually starts off once again in a, in a very poetic way through failure. I was uh, very early on in my journey, it was Ray's Corp, and I, I wasn't making any money. I was working my, my backside of running from one entrepreneur to the next, to the next, to the next, and I wasn't making any money. And it was about 4, 4 a.m. in the morning, and, um, and I hadn't uh, slept all night, just very concerned around a whole bunch of businesses. But this time I had accumulated, I think this was very early on in, in the journey, about 14 businesses, 14 or 16 businesses at the time. And I just drew a line on a piece of paper and I, uh, on the one side I wrote keep, and the other, one, uh, other side I wrote chuck. And I, and I put the names of the businesses, the ones that I'd like to keep and the ones I'd like to get rid of on the other side of the paper. So then I said, well, what makes that decision? How do I choose left from right? How do I choose who to keep? And so the first thing that I thought about was if they, if I'm more worried about their business than they are, then they go into the right side out. Then I have to track them. So that was about what is their relationship with their business. And so I, I, that was the precipitating moment. And at just, you know, half an hour later, I, I'd knocked off a whole bunch of emails to a whole bunch of entrepreneurs saying, thank you for the journey. You can have your equity back. If you owe me any money, you can write it off. Just um, au revoir, goodbye. Thank you for playing. And then focused on the, on the other businesses, which was an incredibly important turning point for Corp because I then realized that if I had focused on those individuals that, that had the right attitude, that blue heart, that, that whatever it was, that that was a more successful. Less is more. So, so that was the beginning so be, of the before, before you before you go too far. Yeah. What was the response from the positive, and what did you say? And what was uh, the response from the negative, and what did you say? The positive people that I never told I was selecting, so they they didn't even know. The negative people, um, some were angry, some were uh, whatever, some were uh, grateful. Um, it was uh, different for uh, each each individual. I, I, I asked that. I asked that because I I had five businesses I was advising in San Francisco. I w- woke up one day. I did the math and I said they're not going to. Even if I worked for five years and I made some money, it wouldn't equate to the time I'd have to put into it. And I did the same thing, and I got extremely angry responses. And mm. saying you could have everything back. I, I'm not taking any equity. And I had a very small amount. W- one person will never speak to me again. So that's why I asked. I mean, it's this is like you're hitting home with me on this narrative, mm. this storyline. Yeah. So, but it was the right decision for you, and it was the right return on effort for, for you. You know, you look at return on effort, um, which is a very important part of how we, we think. So, 
If okay, I come back to the sele yep. selection process, so that was sort of the precipitating moment. And then um, I started doing a huge amount of research on entrepreneurial characteristics. My previous <clears throat> sort of selection criteria was I looked for the glint in their eyes. You know, it was as unsophisticated as that, but that didn't really work. Um, so I needed some, uh, 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 maybe a more theoretical base um, below the, the selection process. And then I started reading books on, on what they call the psychological typology of entrepreneurs, only to be deeply disappointed in the fact that, according to psychologists, there is no such thing as an entrepreneur. In other words, you cannot say that a, if a, a, an entrepreneur has X, Y, and Z characteristics, therefore they are an entrepreneur. They're, it's only a set of probabilities. So entrepreneurs are extroverts, they're introverts, they're tall, they're short, they come from wealthy backgrounds, from poor backgrounds. You know, there, there isn't a definitive set of characteristics with an equal sign to an entrepreneur. So then it says, okay, which ones do, do what are these characteristics? And so over the years, we've built up uh, the, the, the different characteristics. And also, it wasn't just in the testing of these characteristics, which was very much around, like, what would you do in this situation or that situation, multiple choice questions, but it was also interviewing, and it was also a high-pressure environment. So if you look at our selection process, there's an interview, they write a two-and-a-half-hour assessment, there's a second interview, then there is the due, uh, basic due diligence, um, and then there is a, what we call a panel, uh, this purple panel, uh, the purple selection panel, and, and that panel is, is set up with very highly trained individuals who are, de, are there designed to put a huge amount of pressure on the entrepreneur. And huge results come, different results come out of that pressure situation. So it's not just the questions, but also the methodology that we evolved over the last 20 years. So, so that, it's interview, uh, two point, then there's the, the write-up, then there's the second interview, then there's the panel. Then there is, and there's a due diligence in between, and there is a, we're a basic DD. It's really a basic due diligence. It's not nothing, um, nothing really uh, intense. It's you know just checking that the the vehicle has got four four wheels, you know, okay. that it exists. Because if I, one of our most successful businesses, a great story, is a business that does funeral home policy management software. So it's the software for funeral homes, right? Um, but the guys who started that started out selling computers. They were box droppers, and then they went into networking, and then they went into software, and then they built this, this piece of software, with, which turned out to be incredibly successful. And they've got millions and millions of policies, 35 million people on the, on the software. And um, But... It's the, 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 when I first brought them into race school, they were selling computers. But once again, they had, in my opinion, what it took. So I'm also very forgiving of change, forgiving of them reinventing themselves uh, uh, on their journey. And not just forgiving, I, I encourage it if, it's, if the reasons are right. So... Can you walk me through an example like these policy guys? Uh, they they start off, they find you, you find them, you you bring them in, you do the interview. I'm 
you don't okay. I don't think you and I had spoken as much on on what we're trying to build on our end. So this is a very pragmatic question. How did you bring how did this process happen uh, so that you could find this killer whale? Yeah, so in the, in the beginning, to be honest, no, I, I never had a brand at all, a personal brand nor a, a business brand. So it was really through networking. I started doing talks and I would have people come up to me and, and that was sort of how I, I met entrepreneurs. They weren't knocking down my door, let's put it that way. I was still hunting them very much in those days. And so I met the individual, then went through this. Pro- the, 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 there were two. Actually, there was one sort of senior partner and a junior partner. I met them. The junior partner was very cynical about the deal. The the, the senior partner wanted to do the deal. We did the deal, um, and then we then supported them on their journey. In the as they began their software journey, but their senior partner got killed in a, a car accident, and the junior partner became the CEO. And he actually built it into what it is today. But um, the, the, the practical thing around after the selection process is that I had to do a deal. We, we had to do a deal. So we take equity in the businesses. Now, this is just one division in Racecorp. It's not all of Racecorp. In the 500 businesses, we don't have equity in all of it. Um, so the, there's different models within Racecorp, different approaches. But in this, then you have to do the deal. And the deal, as you know, is always the, the hardest. Entrepreneurs think their business is worth millions. You think it's worth zero. Um, and you have to find each other somewhere in between. At the time, I had no money, zero, zero cash. So I couldn't buy it. So, I, so the deal was to sweat for equity. In other words, I would do X amount of work. I would bring in work. I would support them. I would mentor them. And if they hadn't I put in a guarantee that that if they hadn't reached a hurdle of revenue, it was still revenue at that time, after two years, then they could have their equity back. And so that was the original deal. And, you know, and it just sort of happened to flow from there. So what did you see in their eyes? What was this glint? Why, why were you willing to put all this in? Because it sounds like out of this, you found some of your characteristics. Yeah. So, so the the one thing the, the 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 senior guy at the time was a guy called Barry, and Barry was a phenomenal salesperson. And if I look at all the the businesses that I backed, and in fact I've gone through this this purge again about five years ago, where I I repurged, and once it, the the, the the most important thing that I looked at was the sales ability, the ability of the, the, the CEO to sell, to go out there and sell uh, his or her dream, his or her products, his or, or her services. It was that that to me was one of the most definitive things. And Barry at the time was an absolute incredible salesman. He could sell anything. And so to me, I had a lot of, that gave me a lot of faith. Okay. So then let's go to this list. And I, I, just for my sake, I mean, I know you can send it to me later, but I'd really like to listen to it, hear it 
and go down this list. Do you have the 27? Do you know them all by the top of your head? So we could just. I, I, I don't, I don't actually have them all on top of it, but I'll give you so a few give, interesting Give me ones. a few. Yes. I'll, yeah, I'll give you a few. So, so no, number one is sales ability. Number two is flexibility that, you know, once again, uh, their ability to, to change direction is very important. So stubborn, no good. Um, flexible, Teachability, I think, is a very commonly known one. Can I teach the other willing to learn new things? Um, number four is it would be father issues. Father issues is an interesting one. There are two psychologists, uh, Collins and Moore, I think it was 1969, that showed that if you've got father issues, you're far more likely to become a successful entrepreneur. And what uh, and if, to define a father issue then? Father is absent emotionally or physically to, to you. So, you know, and, and then that combined with an overdoting mother is the, almost the perfect combination. So an overdoting mother. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are, are you, do you know me already? Did you check into my back? <laughs> so so that, com, that combination is, so for me, I always say to them, if you've got father issues, come to the front of the queue. You can skip the whole, the whole and, and then, but, the, but you also mentioned mother issues. Well, not by the overdoting, overdoting mother. So that, you know, that might be an issue for a, maybe a teenager. But I think from the mother issues, it's around somebody believing in you. There's still somebody in, in, who believes in you. Father issues is something to prove. Yep. And, and although, they, you know, there is, um, so I need to prove to somebody, if somebody to the world, specifically my father who's absent, and my my mother believes in me. I mean, that's the... The, the, you know the okay. one sentence uh, yep. summary so we got we've got father issues what's the next one that you could think of um all right then uh, what else do we look for we look for um uh, the ability to reframe situations so um when, when something and i spoke earlier about uh, my mentor saying well you know this is the best time of your life this is not like everyone's scared, everyone's, and, 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 you know, frankly, for, for good reason, but, you know, COVID is, is not uh, something to, to um, uh, sneer at. It's a very dangerous epide- epidemic we're going through, but um, to reframe that to, to this is the biggest opportunity of your life. It, it takes an individual, a certain individual to be able to do that easily. And, and so, we look for uh, people, individuals who have the ability to reframe um, situations, uh, and we look for evidence of that. How something was in in one state, they re-looked at it, and then it basically t- turned it on its head to look at it in a different way. And then the relationship with the so-called problem becomes a relationship with an opportunity, and so that's very, very, op- uh, very important. That's actually one of the the heavyweight uh, characteristics that we look for. Yeah. Uh, other other things are po- being uh, being positive, you know, having being optimistic, um, also very very important. Um, yeah, and I think those are the, those are just. Uh, is there is there anything on there where there's a level of cognitive that you you don't even have it on the list, but you're looking for a certain ability to do 
I, and I'm going to make this very simple. Just are you looking for a math skill or a something skill or a something skill? Are you looking mm-hmm. for the individual to have a, a standout-ish skill set in one way? It doesn't have to be the one you want, but maybe they're very good at numbers or maybe they're very good at writing yeah. or maybe they're very good at something. Do you have anything like that? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, in fact, my experience has been that, um, of course, uh, you know, entrepreneurs are s- some are super smart and some are very average and some are, you know, academically wouldn't be regarded as smart at all. But they, it's it's that's not the problem. It's a, the pro, the problem is whether you have the that ability to have that capability within your business, and so that can either be you i.e. you are the smart one, or you can have the charisma and ability to sell to somebody else with that they should join your organization. They have it. You know, Steve Jobs, as smart as he was, had this charismatic personality where he you know, convinced other people to join him. Um, and that you, so you bring that skill set into your business that way. Okay. And, and it's interesting because if you hadn't defined it that way, I took sales because you used the word sales. And I yeah. unfortunately narrowly defined it instead of in the book that you've got that I gave you, sales is diverse. So I actually write about this, but my mind went to a very small category. And I'm glad you said that. So the sales to you is as, I don't know if you've got the chapter in the book, but where we talk about sales as the leader is very difficult. It's, you have to sell up, you have to sell down, you have to sell sideways, you have to sell to legal, you have to sell to media, you have to sell to your vendors, you have to sell to your employees, you have to sell to your board. So it's a very diverse, challenging role to be in. And a good person to run a business has a capacity to talk to all of these people, not just to a customer. Correct. A hundred percent. You hit the nail on the head. And it's, it is, it's very broad in terms of that sales ability. And, and it's interesting for, for me when you talk about your vendors, because in the, at the beginning of a business, your vendors very often are the people who are, 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 are financing you. They're the people who, to whom you owe money that you're praying that your customers are going to pay you for at some point in time. So I, I, having I a did. good relationship with them is critical. It's interesting that it, it's amazing how many parallels, and I'm I'm not trying to do this intentionally. One of our businesses, I got rid of an, a person who was very connected to Vern, one of my first yeah. businesses. I got rid of him. And when we did, we, my wife and I, she was girlfriend then, where we're looking at what do we do next? And a person from the previous business, someone had heard about us, called us and said, can you offer X? And I didn't no, we weren't in that business. And I said, let me get back to you. And I, I looked up, pulled up the old Thomas register, if you remember those, found mm-hmm. a vendor who could supply this. I called them up and said, we're looking for acts and we'd like this and we need it for a customer. And I guess I sounded professional enough. I was in my early 20s. And the person said, oh, great. We would love to ship that to you. We're going to give you net 30. Mm-hmm. And because they gave us net 30, we were able to start that business. Yeah. Without yeah. that net 30, we would not have been able to sell and be in that business. Yeah, so that, and that, that, is, that, story, that story you tell is a, a very important story for many entrepreneurs who very often don't see their suppliers, their vendors as, as, as important as they should. It, they need to be there when things go right and wrong. 
And yeah. in my opinion, my opinion is that I see it as just part of the ecosystem of the business. It's not, they're, they're as important as the customers. If they don't deliver on time, if the quality is improper, if you can't talk with them, you can't service your customers. So it, there's not, the customer is not more important than them. They're just different. Yeah. I don't know if that's a way Correct. to say it. Okay. So, so these are great. These are, if you have any, if you remember some of the others and they come to mind, please add them. So this, so let's go circle back to the paradigms. So you had this paradigm, you had the blue heart, you had the 27 different characteristics. You select one in 100 through a process. Uh, One in 100 is very, 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 very little with 500 at this point. How are you making to, to finish this off and then finish the paradigms? I want to know if there's any others. How do you know which one? I mean, one out of 100 means that this is a race. Uh, let me give you an analogy that I see. I see 100 people in the race because they've already, many of them are already pretty good. They're star athletes. So you might have 20 that are good enough, but only one crosses the finish line. How do you know which one is that one? Oh, so the, the one word answer or two word answers, we don't. Um, <laughs> we don't. We, we, we just get it right more often than not. Um, and we're still in a learning process to, to get that more and more correct. So we, we um, have a very high success rate. And so that gives us sort of um, a lot of confidence that what we're doing is, is right, uh, is correct. But, you know, for, for us at the end of the day, um, we also have a fail early um, story. So we get about 50 to 100 applications a day to join us. And, and as I said, one in 100 uh, will, will get uh, in. A day. So, a day. A day. A day. Okay. But I have got big machinery that, that, that um, uh, behind that there is. It's, um, it's incredibly sophisticated today. And we've got, you know, you, you, I'm sure that 99.9 recurring percent of other, the listeners have never heard of RaceCorp, uh, nor ever will. But um, but in South Africa and the S- Southern Africa, because we are in Zimbabwe and Angola in Tanzania, um, and um, uh, we, we are, have got a brand. And so I said to you before, I had to very much go out there and hunt. Today, it's more, you know, people are, are basically applying and we've got a very strong brand. We've, we've built a great reputation and so people want to be part of that. Um, and people, there are people who try again. We say, if people fail, we say, yeah, these are the reasons you failed. Go fix this and come back after six months or a year uh, and reapply. So again, you, if you're getting 700 a week, about five hundred a week is okay. Is so we use the business week. So five hundred. Yeah. yeah. I, I you gave you gave a minimal process then because the first thing is the interview, which can't be the first thing unless you've got yeah. so many people. How do you how do you do the pre before the interview? So there's a uh, there's a expression of interest which. Um, has got minimum criteria on it. It comes through into a system. It's all software driven. Um, it arrives at an individual who then checks the criteria are met. If if they're not, there's an automatic rejection. If there isn't, 
well, like they're filling out a form online or there's some, some and okay so yeah. so there's a there's some data analytics beside you're asking certain questions they fall into a certain point system or whatever and if yeah. they exceed uh, a threshold they go to a more a, a human based application where someone is now reviewing yes they get a phone call um, and we have we go through uh, a, a telephonic interview first if they're successful, and then that's all that data is come, comes into a piece of software which you've written, and the, 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 the people who are interviewing them over the, the, the telephone um, are then scoring them again uh, based on a, a number of rubrics around each question and, and, um, and listing very, and this is an interesting one, David, is that they listen to language. They listen to the construct of language. They listen to the positivity or negativity or blaming language. They listen to language. They listen for contradictions. They've been trained to do so. So the telephonic is the second phase. And if they're successful in that, they come through for an actual physical face-to-face -face interview. So that face-to-face -face interview is now digital. It's across a Zoom or a Teams or, or, or Skype. And that interview happens um, in a, in, a, in a digital way. Um, but pre and post COVID, it will be, it was and will be back to, to physical. And the reason why, the, why it's so important, the physical interview, in my opinion, and this, I just maybe, uh, if you push the button for me and I just maybe want to express this, is, is because you can pick up nuance in terms of body language that you cannot do uh, as well over, over a Zoom or a Skype, et cetera. There's so much more information coming to you. And we train our interviewers on how to, to do this, how to read that body language. Just as a quick aside, you know, I, I have sat on credit committees for, for a number of other organizations who do not have a physical interview with the entrepreneur. And to me, it, it does not make sense. It's completely off this document called the business plan. I read the plan and then they will decide to give credit or not. In one of the credit committees that I uh, was on, we, we looked at two um, businesses. One made concrete pipes and the other made um, this plasticized decking that looked like wood, but was actually plastic. And my challenge to the, uh, the um, committee, to the investment committee, was come up with your, your decision without seeing the entrepreneur. Then let's bring the entrepreneurs in and interview them face-to-face. -face. And let's see if we get the same result. We decided you know, through the business plan, reading the business plan, this beautiful slide deck, that we would choose the concrete manufacturer and reject the um, plastic deck, wood lookalike deck manufacturer. Once we interviewed them, the, the decision was completely reversed. We went completely the other way. Because you can hear things, you can read things that you cannot do on a piece of paper. And so to me, the, the worst possible decision-making on whether to invest in an entrepreneur is through this, this thing called a business plan. You know, I've written a book called Lose the Business Plan. I think, I think it's the absolute worst reason to invest in, in, in an entrepreneur. In, in, you back an entrepreneur and the team. That's number one, as, as I did with, with Barry in, in that business. And they will adapt. If they're the right people, they will adapt. 
And I too was that individual for my mentor who backed me. I then evolved into something else. I can, I would take this if I was sharing with somebody also to a different level is that as a person, let's say who want to go work for somebody, make sure you go visit. And when, when I do on one part of the business we have on the consulting side, I will take a a 13 hour flight to sit down with a prospect. I want to see their office. I want to see how the people greet me. I want Mm -hmm. to see how they interact with me. I want to see, I want to see these things because they're clues as to how they will treat people, what's important to them. Uh, what's the structure? So even if you are wanting to work for an entrepreneur, wanting to work for somebody, this is also very valuable to to understand that that human interaction, that face to face, where Zoom doesn't or any videos uh, technology doesn't give that. And so, yeah, yeah you, this is it, it's. What was your team's reaction? Or what was it when I'm assuming, so I'm going to ask that question. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask two questions simultaneously. You can ask some answer the way you like is afterwards you, I'm assuming you did a post review. So I'm making an assumption here in that post review, what came out of it about this fact that you were just so far off? Well, the the whole process was changed to then include interviews. It was, it was a, it was a no brain after that they understood but the, the issue, and, and, and let me tell you where I think the problem is, is there is a, a certain um, distance uh, created by uh, responding negatively to a, a, business, pl- a business plan. There is, there, you don't see the people, you don't create relationship with them, you don't get to understand. So to reject them is a lot easier. So when you're a credit committee, is completely um, so-called... Um, uh, objective, uh, it's easier to reject. I, I don't think that that's the right thinking. I think you've got to look them in the eye. You've got and and you know you've got to get over being able to say no, not now. This is not for us right now. And say no after you've met somebody. So yeah, and and well, that's a skill I've had to learn. Well, look at look at our our interaction. Is it was actually not easy to get to you at the day that I was doing it, I had to make sure to get transported to your home. Uh, I was able to go to your home and you and I could have had a 10 minute or 15 minute or 20 minute conversation. I could have walked out the door, but before we know it, we're having dinner together. We're taking photographs, we're sharing books and we're, we're creating a different bond that would not have happened otherwise. Correct. So, and, okay. and if you think about business, business, in my opinion, is about relationships. The, 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 it's about relationships, with, as we said, with your vendors, with your clients, with your partners, with your, with your staff. It's about relationships. And so even when you're investing as an investor, it's about that relationship that will see you through some rough times. Even in, in this, you know, in, in, you know, I speak about all these investments as if they've been wonderfully smooth relationships. They, they, they don't, they're like marriages. They require work. They require effort. They require faith. Uh, they require long-term thinking. And, and that can only come from a two-way relationship built on trust and built on a, a humanness that you have to understand that, that, you know, you're dealing with somebody else who's, who's, who's got a family, who's got personal situations going on, um, 
And, and you've got to take that all into consideration when making decisions. It's not just this cold, um, these decisions that are so cold based on what the, what the numbers say. You know, they always say that the numbers don't lie. I think they might not lie, but they don't tell the whole story. So uh, in the topic of paradigm, so let's go all yeah. the way back up. Is there any other, uh, since we've spoken a decent amount about this, is there any other paradigm that has happened that you think is important for me to know about that would help me to understand moving into this next, the creation of economic, uh, the uh, ecosystems? Um. No, so to me, it's about their paradigm and your, the, the, the relationship. It's about getting the right people into the ecosystem. And when I say the right people, it must be the right people for you, for you as the investor, for you who is creating it. And not just for you, it's for everyone else in that ecosystem. So you become a curator of who gets in and who stays in that ecosystem. And that's really, I think, the important thing to understand about their paradigm and who they are and, and before they come into the ecosystem. So I, I, I've been very much looking forward to this next topic. And I, as a, I've mentioned, I don't tend to talk to the audience. We don't tend to talk to the audience while we're talking. It's just, it's the two of us, but I will share this is that the creation of the topic was originally when I, I, when we go through the process, there's a pre-interview for those of you who don't know, and it could be very long. And ours was fairly long because the first thing that you had said, Alan, was that you were going to, you wanted to speak on as an entrepreneur born or raised. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really didn't want to hear that. That's part of it. I need to be excited about it. And I shared with you that I feel like you bring them into your ecosystem and you make them bigger and better and stronger. And you turned your, your video screen around for me and you showed me your walls and you said, I think in these ecosystems. So I've actually been very much in looking forward to hearing the creation of ecosystems. This is something that uh, I've, I've thought about many times since our call. So tell, take us, take me someplace. What are we going to get here? All right. Now, so let, let me maybe start off with a confession is that it didn't start for me in, in, you know, thinking, putting my chin on my, my clenched fist and started thinking about ecosystems. It didn't happen uh, that way. It happened naturally. And then, then I recognized a pattern and then I said, oh, this is working. And then, oh, that, that's an, actually an ecosystem and that works and sort of was born out of, out of that. So just a confession out of the way that, that this wasn't by design originally. It, it sort of stumbled over the fact that it had happened. So okay. now once you, once you uh, think in, from an ecosystem point of view, and you even heard in the paradigms where we were speaking about your vendors, your, your, your staff, your, your, your customers, yeah, that's part of your, your ecosystem. That's part of your stakeholder ecosystem in your business. But for, for me, what, what I was trying to ensure is that I had different ecosystems um, running next to each other. So there was a bigger ecosystem made up of smaller ecosystems. And I spoke to you before, earlier on in the interview about the fact that not all 500 of the businesses or 500 plus. And if you include the 13 
a thousand that have been through, which are part of the alumni, not all, all of those are, are equity. Uh, uh, some are, uh, are pro programs that people come through, one, two or three year programs with no equity, which is just fee. Um, and so there's these different ecosystems that started to be created, made up of individuals who could and did by design, and this was by design, add value to one another. So anyone who's, um, who's done an MBA, and I, I haven't done an MBA, but I've been in, involved with enough, enough people who have done MBAs will tell you that one of the big upsides, in fact, very often the only motivation for doing an MBA is the networks that are created by those MBAs. And there are cohorts and people then start building relationships in those cohorts and doing business with, with one another in those cohorts. And it's very much about that. What we started right at the beginning of this interview is that what value can I give you and what value can you give me? So at the center of an ecosystem is a commonality and this, this ability to feed each other with something. So what is that something and how do you deliberately create these ecosystems with that, that something or those some things in, in the center. So perhaps there's a, it's knowledge that can, that people um, can share uh, perhaps. And, and the one that is very common and very hard to do properly is markets that people can open markets for one another, either directly as in, I am your market or indirectly, I can give you access to my market. So that's valuable to you and vice versa. Or experience, which we spoke about EO with Vern Harnish, big part of what that little forum is, is a little ecosystem where we are sharing our experiences and our knowledge with one another and our networks. So what Vern did with EO, with entrepreneurial, at the time it was YEO, was created very much like the YPO model, a, a, a mini ecosystem. And then my forum would, It'd be out forum one and there's forum two and there's forum three and, and the 10 fora are all part of a, a chapter. So we've got all these concurrent or, uh, ecosystems working very tightly with one another right next to one another that forms this chapter, which is a grander, the grander ecosystem. So I try to replicate that within RaceCorp and instead of a forum, it would be different types of entrepreneurs in different cohorts, either geographic cohorts, um, the different programs that they were on, the different, let's call it financial relationships I had with them. But that's what was being created. But it came to a point where it was all being created deliberately. Okay. The... So in your head... A tough question. In your head, what do you see? I see a um, the picture that I showed you on the wall. I see um, a circle yeah. made up of different segments, all rotating around a core, a, a central core. That's what I see. And so, what's very much for me is like very much like an orange is that in each one of the segments that the, there is a specific um, theme 
that keeps that particular segment together. But all of them are all surrounding this core value proposition. There's something in the center that keeps like a heartbeat. It keeps feeding the whole system and keeping it going. So you are the heartbeat by bringing in the new blood or you keep the blood moving? I, I, me as, uh, as Alon, um, 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 not, not anymore. It's race corp has been designed. Uh, the machine does that. I don't do it anymore. So the, um, the race corp is the machine. It brings in by bringing new blood, which a body yes. needs new cells and it's reproducing. Correct. So you're bringing new blood in, which excites, transforms, keeps it healthy, keeps it growing. And at the Correct. same time, there's, there's a mechanism in your in race corp to be able to reach out to the ecosystem and make sure that they're functioning. So it's yes. Number one, it's about bringing in the new. Number two, it's about continuously adding value to that new in terms of knowledge, in terms of um, all, all, all sorts of value, whether it's uh, cheaper input costs or, or, or advice or whatever the case may be. And then the third thing, which is very important, is is being the bee. It's about the 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 pollinating is cross-pollinating is this deliberate very deliberate cross-pollination of the ecosystem that there is somebody that or somebodies or individuals that are charged with moving information experience value from one of the ecosystems to the other very much like a bee moving from one flower to the next and I still play that role. Um, I, I enjoy that role. So I'm, you know, I will pick up an opportunity and I'll know that, you know, these individuals um, can, can benefit from that. Or, so I'm still very much, my, my role today is I'm more of a, a bee than the, the heartbeat in the center. The, the machine produces the heartbeat. I'm more of the, the architect, the designer of the machine. And, and in a day-to-day functionality, I act in, in the bee role, but there are many bees. I'm not the only one. I just, uh, I'm just one of them. So when you are, uh, can you, I, I'm a, this many, this group, how do you task them? How do they identify and how do they deliver on the promise of the bee? Um, so I'll give you an example. We have a, um, a, a role called a, a Supply Development Manager, SDM we call it. And the Supply Development Manager's role is to get access to heads of procurement in corporate South Africa. So the individual would be tasked for phoning up and getting a meeting with the head of procurement for one of the big corporates. And in that conversation, they would either come in um, directly with a saying that, you know, we would like to introduce you to X, Y, or Z company, but also with an alternative um, mission to get others into, into uh, into that supply chain. So once you've, you know, you built a relationship and they trust, they're looking for particular suppliers who are reliable, who are, um, are at the right pricing, and they know that we can source them for them, 
then they will start calling you up and say, say do you have a, a company that can do this for us and that for us? So then we do, we do that. So we would either do that uh, very directly, like the supplier development manager role, or we would scan all the the tenders the um, that are out from different uh, com- companies. We've got these various uh, platforms that uh, basically publish tenders, and we collate that and then transmit that out to the entrepreneurs. And we do that in a selective way. So we do it in a curated way. And so not everyone is getting everything. We we basically push the the opportunities to the individuals who are most likely to be able to take advantage of that. So those are just two examples of adding value. They're, they're great in the sense that the way I'm now picturing, which I did not in the beginning uh, of this incubator, I had this image of you brought people in, you educated them, you put them on their path, you help them, you give them advice, you, can, you, you do all of those activities. But what you just described is that uh, uh, Raise Corp is a, an entity that acts like a growing entity. So therefore it has an individual who searches for opportunities, who finds, let's say it's Caterpillar or 3M or somebody, you go in as the lead. Mm -hmm. And from that lead, you are bringing behind you the ecosystem, but that's not always the way in which you enter. You come in, you, you give them one opportunity or two, you say, we could supply you on that knowing all well that raise corpse capabilities are to not just do that for one, but actually to sell the ecosystem. Yeah. And, and if I, I take that Did one step co- further, yeah, you said that per- perfectly. And if I take it one step further, David, what, what is important is raise corpse brand in that. So that a procurement manager would say, I know one in a hundred have got into you. I know that there is a, so you're not wasting my time. You've, you've done a, a lot of the de-risking work for me already. And so this is valuable to me as a procurement manager from a large corporate, because my big problem is having vendors come and go and explode and disappear. And, and it costs me a huge amount of time and effort and aggravation to get new vendors onto my system. So if you raise are, are, and selecting them, I know there is a higher probability. You know, it cannot be 100%, but there's a higher probability that the individuals uh, are going to be uh, more stable um, and able to, to scale uh, given further work that we, we provide them, which is another interesting thing is that many bus- businesses fail not out of starvation, but out of indigestion. They eat eat too much, they, they bite off more than they can chew and kill themselves in that process. So even as we introduce new markets and new opportunities to the individuals, we're very co- conscious of the fact that they will experience scaling issues. And we have got the experience to, to allow them to make more rational decisions. In other words, don't take, don't uh, offer to sell you know, to them 100 if you can only deliver on 50. So we've got ways to, to, to sort of help them govern those decisions better that are not ego-based or greed-based, but what practically the business can provide. So the, 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 and there's, you can hear that's a little nuanced piece in there. And there's lots of these little nuanced pieces in there. 
Another example would be, for example, we have in a certain one of the ecosystems, we have a thing called a Rolodex day, uh, where we deliberately share our Rolodex in a very fun and novel way with one another through needs and leads. And we do that, spend a whole day doing that with the CEOs passing on leads to one another. And um, it's a, uh, you know, so that's another, an, another mechanism. So market creation is a big part of, of the value of that, that we create. So with the, it's market creation and market pollination, as you've sh- shared. Yeah. Uh, I've never asked this. How many people in Racecorp? I employ directly, and, and i.e. not in the invest in the investment companies in, in a, where we have equity. Directly, I pay every month 170 odd people, so that's on my payroll. Then, in, indirectly, then through all our equities, you know. It's way larger than that, but uh, we, <laughs> yeah, I would assume I, so. <laughs> uh, uh, we have uh, only 100 and, uh, 170 people in the. In the uh, it's still an impressive business because you have the the tentacles. Uh, I'm assuming you have a fi- you have a finance, banking, accounting arm that helps the companies. And I'm I, this is a question, I guess. Do you have that? can help them raise the capital if they need it, that can look at their balance sheet and income statement to make sure they're asking the right questions. Is this a big so, role? Uh, yes, so we, we do. We have, um, we have a division called Partner Elite where we, with the equity, where we actually have our own funding, our own cash, um, and we would put that in, in, into the businesses in different formats, loans, equity, whatever the case may be. So we don't run a fund per se, we, it's our own money, and we, um, and in in relationship, I mean, this is I shouldn't possibly say this on uh, in a public forum, but you know, in in many instances, when you've had a relationship with somebody for ten or fifteen years, and they've got a cash flow um, issue over a month end, and they need you know five hundred thousand dollars, it it will you know it'll be through an EFT just transferred to them with no paperwork because and and sent back to you like. 10 days later as their, their money comes in from their clients with, you know, just a conversation. It's because you know the individuals, you trust the individuals. Um, so it's even, it's like even a cash flow issue over a month in, but that's, I mean, that happens from time to time as well. Then the other thing that we do is we have relationships with the, with many of the finance institutions broken up into the formal finance institutions, like the, the banks, uh, et cetera. And the, the alternative finance uh, uh, organizations where they specialize in, in smaller uh, amounts of finance. And once again, uh, the, relation, the, the relationship is that if they're in race corp, from, from a bank's point of view, it's a, it, it gives a huge amount of uh, credence to, to the, the entrepreneur, and therefore they have a much higher chance of, of, um, of getting that, that, that funding. So we've got relationships there, and it even goes to personal. You know, um, we've had entrepreneurs who are, are raising mortgages, and 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 when they raise a mortgage, you know, as an entrepreneur, there is no employer. You know, you self-employed. So banks right. don't like to do that. And then they mention raise corp, and then the, you know, and then the mortgage is is issued. So we've got lots of our brand is very strong from that perspective, and and that once again is part of the value 
is just being associated with that brand is it means that we've been endorsed. It's like saying that I'm a graduate of Harvard or, or Oxford or Cambridge or whatever the case may be. Can you give two things that you didn't do properly in building your ecosystems? Um, today or yesterday? Well, no, in the or... past. Like what, what lessons did you learn where you were where you were building the ecosystem and it didn't work the, the way you wanted, so you had to pivot? Yeah, so I was being facetious and uh, making mistakes all the t- all the time, every day. <laughs> rather, I make two, you know, make two every day at least. But um, but if I, if I think about it, you know, in terms of um, the ecosystem, uh, you, you can't. The one the one mistake I, I think I made many years ago was to force um, the relationships. In other words, there was a a um, requirement of, so, so I'll give you an example. We own a school, a, a high school, primary school uh, business. And um, the, the technology, the IT support is, is provided by another one of our businesses. And the bookkeeping for that uh, is done by another one of our businesses. And so they were having issue with what one of one of those two. I won't mention which one. And like in the past, I would have insisted that they they use one of our uh, companies in in the ecosystem. Um, there's nothing worse than than forcing, you know, forcing that. So you think that, you know, because your models say that they're going to spend X with you and and, and y, y, y with you, that you you need to. You know, force that ecosystem. So a big, I uh, say so in summary is uh, I I learned the hard way that you cannot force uh, supplier relationships. I cannot force you to buy from one of our companies. I I need to ensure that you trust that individual and that you know if you want to not use them, you can use anyone you like. So that was one. Yeah. Um. Uh, it's a good question. I haven't thought of it in, in like as in like the big mistakes as opposed to all the smaller mistakes. But I, th- I think, um, and and this was cleaned up I th- in the model now. But originally, I, I didn't understand the, the the fact that you had to have speed, you know, as I mentioned the the four the different fora as in forum one, forum two, and we're yeah. all in a chapter. For me, uh, I didn't understand the, the 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 importance of keeping those those ecosystems relatively small and 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 tight. And 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 how where you learn that is that if it becomes very very big, then everyone just starts to feel like a number in that ecosystem. But in a small ecosystem where there's ten or fifteen or twenty business and individuals in, in that ecosystem, then everyone knows each other and feels important in that particular ecosystem and therefore by default feels important in a bigger, in the in the chapter version of that because I'm important in my particular inverted commerce forum ecosystem, therefore I'm important in the, in the, the, the chapter in the bigger ecosystem. If you don't break, if you don't keep the ecosystems um, small and and try and force it into one big thing. Then, to me, I think a lot of people 
stop feeling, and, and quite rightly so, important and um, cared for. Um, and on, on a empirical uh, level, you could be giving them exactly the same value in both situations, but one they don't perceive it to be the same. So that, uh, that, that I was moving towards like a big, big ecosystem because it was more efficient to, to manage, but it started to then atrophy and, and have its own issues. So those are the two. two uh, the, the, those are, those are uh, very, I, I'm, I hate to use this word because I'm trying to, I'm using what's coming into my head. They are very powerful because it's very easy to get lost and in these larger systems and my mind went, I don't know if this is helpful to you, but my mind went to a large class at a university and a small class at a university and the small class doesn't mean it will work, but in the large class, you might find that half of the people don't show up and some of them are sleeping or depending on the teacher, depending on how entertaining they are, but the engagement level is very, very, very different. Yeah. And yeah, it's more exactly. work. It's more work to have the small, but once it gets going, you it's less work. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So it's challenging in the beginning. You need a lot more energy to get the small group to connect to do. You have to make it right. It's the, it's got to taste right, got to look right, got to smell right, everything. But once it gets going, they they progress on their own. The ball is rolling. Yeah. Okay. Anything more with your ecosystems? Any anything that ha- you've learned that just was? I should have learned this earlier, or uh, no. Okay. Uh, I think I think I think those are the, the keep keep them um, focused, keep them well oiled, well um, keep them healthy, um, yeah, and keep them small, and and then. Yeah, and then do, do you get there? Do you get a, a monthly report, a weekly report? Do you get a uh, a cash flow analysis from them every month, or are there, are there yeah, things? So that- I, I sit on so so the, on the equity side, um, we have monthly financial sent to us uh, management accounts, and that's they're also collated into. I get a a monthly report on on the the whole, all of them. Um, yeah. So as a, as a, as a cohort, how, how the whole is doing versus the indiv- and the individuals, I can see it both. And then once a quarter, we have uh, board meetings uh, with all, all the different partners. And um, I sit on some, my business partners sit on others, some of the bigger ones we both sit on. And we we have we sit in the in the board. So I sit on all the boards uh, for, for for those that have been allocated to me, and that's quarterly. And I'm I'm guessing that you also for many of these companies, entities, whatever they're called, and uh, you have to educate them on finance and numbers and accounting and making sure that it's done right. Do you? Do you have? Do you, is that one role of your 170 people to get them up to speed on how to look, review, create, do? So uh, that's a very complex answer to that. 
Um, most of the businesses have their own bookkeepers. Race Corp itself has 22 of its own bookkeepers, which we do the books for many of the the, the businesses as well. Um, and then we've got a business that does bookkeeping uh, uh, as well. So we've got an equity stake in a bookkeeping business. We do it ourselves and the entrepreneurs that we invest in have their own. So we have a format that they are required to report in and and even the board pack has got a template and, and, and we train them on, on how to fill out, how to be in a board, how to fill out a board pack and how to get the financials. Race has also got a whole learning training division uh, within where we train on, on finance and on different aspects of finance. And then we also provide what we call a finance guide. It's, this is an individual that works with the entrepreneur around modeling and finance, et cetera, to help them understand. What's very important for us is that we empower the entrepreneur to understand and more importantly, fall in love with their numbers. But many of them are afraid of their numbers. It's that they fall in love with the power of understanding their numbers. And we see that in our in our experience that in the beginning, they're quite reticent around, and, and maybe not reticent is the wrong word, but unconfident around their numbers. Eventually they become confident and understand the power of ratios in, in, in order to make different decisions. The, uh, the way, it's interesting because I realized while you were giving the answer how mistakenly I was viewing this. You, I had viewed it originally that you were sh- saying you had, I, I was, the question was about the accounting was, do they have, do they do? But yours is, go, I go back to that orange, is you're using your internal ecosystem, which has a bookkeeping system. You have the Raise Corp ecosystem of accountants and finance and bookkeeping and all of that. Then you've got the shared community version of the understanding of what's happening in the businesses. So it it's an ecosystem of an ecosystem of a connectivity of a network that is not in two dimension and it's three dimensional. So when you outlined, you said you have the 22 accounting, you have the, the a business that does the bookkeeping, you have one that has their own, there's a bookkeeper in the system that's working with them. Is It's a network effect of capabilities yeah. from, multiple, from multiple levels or multiple tiers of capabilities. And you notice another thing is that they have choice, which is coming back to the mistakes, is that they have choice. I don't force anything on them. If you want to use ours, you can. If you want to use one of our investment companies, you can. If you want to use your own, you can. Whatever you want, you can do. So, but here's the, this, the one thing that's not negotiable is how you present me with the numbers. And that this is what I need and how often you present me with the numbers. That's not negotiable. But how you get there, that's up to you. So you have per category, whatever, you have a few different models that people can use because different businesses have different components in them. But you, um, so they give you that, I'm assuming, you could tell me if I'm wrong, I'm just making a guess here. Do you also have, and in addition to that, do you have them do uh, written reports as to their analysis of the data? Yeah, so, so they, they produce um, this board pack and um, it's very much, there's two 
there's the let's call it the the data the content but what's very important is the the insights so so we we drive their commentary on what's happened and which is more important than what's happened so I, i'm very i'm very interested in you know i can read a graph if if sales are going up that's that's fantastic if sales are going down that's that's terrible i can read that graph but in the insight, what I want from you as, as entrepreneurs to tell me why it's happening and will it last uh, for how long? And if it's going down, what are you doing about it? If it's going up, what are you doing to make sure it carries on? So that's very much the, the emphasis uh, on the entrepreneur is that they engage the data from an a insight point of view versus uh, just a report back to me you know, which it's not a reporting function. It's more a sharing a discussion. A different. A, a, is there rigor in my thinking? How am I thinking as an entrepreneur? It's it's, more, it's got more of that tonality than a than reporting. In fact, it's got zero tonality around reporting. And is your feedback written or oral or both? Oral. It's oral. But but you know it you know it sounds all very quite um, stiff colored and, and quite rigid, et cetera. But you know, in, in each one of these um, uh, groupings, whether it's uh, two partners that we've partnered with or one or, or an exco, we have WhatsApp groups uh, that we communicate with all the time, like on a daily basis. So if somebody's just closed a big deal, they will share that. If somebody's going through a bit of a downer, they will share that. And so it's, it, even though there are these quarterly interventions, there are some are often daily micro discussions or interventions or congratulations or that, that are happening all the time. Together with that, there's also, I mean, at the beginning of this year, I'm sitting at home right now, um, I've had two of my CEOs at my, my home before, you know, in, in South Africa, we have a December, big December break. Um, and so I was on leave and two of them came to my home, pulled out a good bottle of tequila and, and, and uh, sipping tequila. And we were, we were sat talking about the year ahead and we worked with them around, you know, their perspectives, et cetera. So that, that's just a call. Can I come see you? Can I come for a chat? And it's you know it's not formal. It's just outside in the garden, chat with um, some very good tequila. And uh, uh, if you got the impression from me that I saw it as structured, I actually saw it as a little unstructured. One of the things in the book that you have is, uh, and paid to think that I had, I talk about or think about, which I'm thinking about with you is, it's very easy to say we have a connection with somebody. You have a connection. But what I use is this term points of light. And I say, think of every point of light to an organization or to an employee or to a group is a light going one way. And every one that from them to you is another. So yeah. then I've asked executives, tell me what the lights look like. And I remember this guy who was running the Middle East uh, for a major company. They had, there were tentacles all over and he said, oh my God, uh, like a, it was not a reaction. It was a reaction, not a comment. And I said, what's going on? He said, I see all the lights going out. 
but not a lot coming in. Yeah. And I, so for him, it was, I I took him up 50,000 feet. I said, now look down, what do you see in these lights? And what he was realizing were there were certain lights coming back and some lights were very intense, but as an overall group, it was a lot of outgoing messages versus incoming. And with yours, tell me if I'm wrong, you are with the WhatsApp groups, with the structure that you've created in terms of the meetings that they have monthly, the financials and the responses back, that you have a network points of light happening, not only between you and RaceCorp, uh, between RaceCorp and the entities, but between the entities themselves. Correct. And I've got a team of guides and these mentors that engage with them. So we've got a strategy guide, a finance guide, a marketing guide, a sales guide, and a personal development guide. Who are full to, That's part of my 175 people uh, that work, work uh, at RaceCorp. Um, these individuals are allocated as the support uh, people for these entrepreneurs as well who have got sp- specialist um, understanding around those different fields. If we go back to my story, remember I said to you as a race copy is a paid forward that happened to me. If I go back to the story where I started again and my mentor provided me with a, a finance person and a, and a marketing person and a salesperson, I, all I have done is very crudely replicated my story in, in, a, in a formal format. Oh, I, 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 don't, don't take don't put yourself down. No, you... You've got 170 individuals, which is a, if you think about it, it's a nice size business, but because you have this network effect, you're, you're diminishing how much value you're creating. And I think you, you duplicated it. I don't think you did it in a, in a hodgepodge or unconnected way. No, you structurally took a core concept and you built upon it into this entity. So it's very impressive. And that's why I'm asking the questions I am because of how impressive it is. If it wasn't, I wouldn't be asking. So take it as a compliment that I'm asking the questions. So all I'm saying is that everything's when you come connected, if you look at my story is that yeah, I've got also these, these guides, right? So they, they interact, then they meet together every Monday and talk about their uh, different uh, businesses that they are supporting and what they need to do. So they are without, I know nothing about what happens in that meeting. I could access the report, but I, I don't. And then once a month, I have a meeting with the, the, the guides um, in, in, this is the equity side of the business only. Uh, I'm, I'm, this is happening in the non-equity side as well, but this is where my connection is. And then we report back on each one of the, the individuals. So I've got the report, but I want to have the conversation. This is what's happening. And then I give feedback from my perspective because often what happens in my relationship with the CEOs is I'm, I am party to information that might not have been shared with the, the guides and vice versa. So we share that information to make sure that we're all on the same page. So that's also happening. So there's a lot of connection points. And then, you know, if somebody perhaps is going through a rough time, we, you know, divorce or something, you know, they might have shared that with one individual, not everyone. But it's good that everyone knows 
uh, what's going on so that they can perhaps tread a little bit more lightly at you know at the time. So it's it's very there's a huge amount of information flow. The, the lights are going in both in both directions. So two two questions, very different. And I try to ask one at a time, but I'm going to ask two again. I keep on asking two with you, which is killing me. One is how do you uh, bring on the people to find, to identify the people? And then how do you make sure that the ecosystem within the ecosystem, I see you as two ecosystems. I see the ecosystem as, as uh, the external corporations, but then I also see this internal ecosystem that you're also forming. So you're, you're, you're forming a nucleus of networks that are constantly chatting with one another. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, what I, so how did you, what's in both of those? The, the, how do you bring them on to make sure and then how does this, how would it look like if you were to describe this ecosystem working and operating? So are you talking about the individuals? You yeah, like how do you find someone there? to come in to do this? I mean, this okay. is not so, a traditional business model. Yeah, so, so if we're talking about the guides, that's also very interesting because one in 104 guides are selected. So, so that's our selection process around what you might call mentors, we call guides. Um, and it's not the same thing. So we built a, f- first of all, let's go through, um, through, through guiding. So we started off using mentorship um, as the model. And um, mentorship comes from the point of view, I know, you don't know, I'm, I'm going to tell you what to do and why. So should I cross the uh, river? No, you shouldn't. There is a crocodile in the river look at my arm, it's been bitten off. Okay, so I'll tell you what to do and give you the why. That's mentorship. I had that. So we were using mentorship very much as, as the model. I'm being very simplistic right now. Yeah. And we kept seeing, this was right in the early days of Race Corp, that if we said go left you know, and gave you the reason why, they'd go right. <laughs> and, we'd, and then they would get, you know, they'd get, their arm chopped off or whatever the case. And we said, well, why, why did you go right? We, we, we explained to you to go left. And, and what we realized is in the entrepreneurial makeup is a rebel. So, either, so if, you, if you tell them anything, they are going to do the opposite. And you can't tell them to do the opposite because, you know, God forbid they do it and then, and, and then they end up with their arm chopped off. It's also bad. So, so mentorship was not working for us in, in a, at, a, at a scale level. It wasn't working for us as a methodology. And coaching became the big thing. So we moved to coaching. And then, you know, that's, they would say, well, should we cross the river? And then the coach would say, you know, well, how would you feel, you know, about staying on this side of the river? And how would you feel if you got to the other side of the river? And how do you feel? How do you feel? And we, I started getting calls from the entrepreneurs saying, you know, like, I, I don't like this. I, I've asked a simple question and I'm not getting a simple answer. And the, and the coaches were f- coming to see me and saying, this is not working because I keep doing this. And they just say, give me the answer. And then when I give them the answer, they'll do the opposite. So coaching didn't work. So we, we started in 2011, we started to build a different method, a methodology called what we call guiding. And guiding, in essence, is um, 
giving the, uh, the entrepreneur the different alternatives. So if you go left, this is what's going to happen. If you go right, this is what's going to happen. These are the consequences and all up and downside of that. If you go stay here, this is what's going to happen. If you go up, this is what's going to happen. Can we, should we maybe look through, maybe there's another direction we can go. So, so what we did was we actually gave the answers, but not the direction. So we, we, we just said, if you go left, this will happen. If you go right, this will happen, you choose. Versus the coach who said, how will you feel going left? You, you, how will you feel? Didn't give the answer and then and left the entrepreneur frustrated versus mentorship who gave the answer yeah. with a reason and then they would rebel and do the opposite. So guiding became our methodology. We got that accredited by the British government in, I think it was 2014. 2011, actually, it could have been 2011, we, uh, we got that accredited. It was as an entre entrepreneurial intervention. So what we do now is when we bring on these guides who have specific uh, specialities, they all have to have some level of academic background, which we specify. They have to have been an entrepreneur, so they are empathetic. They have to understand what month-end feels like. Uh, where you haven't got money and you need to pay your, your staff. They need to feel that they can't, couldn't have read that in a book and, and try and express it. They all have all are ex-entrepreneurs and by default failed entrepreneurs. And number three, they're phenomenal communicators. So, so we, we get these applications and we take them through um, a whole selection process and one in 104 of these individuals is chosen. And then once they come on into RaceCorp, we have a, we they join what we call the Race Corp Guiding Academy, the RGA, and then they go through four years of training. They do one year of a thing called um, CEG, Certified Entrepreneurial Guide, a PEG, which is a, a, so CEG is one year, PEG is a one year is Professional Entrepreneurial Guide, and a two year Masters. So that's their requirement: is they evolve also as guides. So that's like even at the core of our value, we are making sure that we have an empathetic, highly competent individual who's supporting the entrepreneur. As you know, if you've got a really crappy teacher, I mean, that changes your life. You've got a great teacher, that changes your life. So for us, it's very important that we select these individuals as well. I, I... If you could, if you could see inside of me right now, I'm kind of like, yay, that's a great, this is a great insight that I, I'm glad we got to because I was trying to figure out how you keep that resonance going within the yeah. ecosystem. It, it, and it's not an obvious question because I think the obvious question is how did you bring a company in and what did you have them do? And why did you pick that brand or why did you pick this person? And those are the obviouses. But resonance needs vibrational, continuous Correct. vibration. And it okay. needs and, – and here now I feel like there's a little bit of a heart to mm -hmm. the mechanism, which is to make sure these people have failed at it. They, they know how difficult it is. They yeah. are empathetic. They, they have an academic background so they can answer certain questions that might be necessary. What's an income statement? What's a balance sheet? How does this operate? What's the IT structure? Whatever it may be. And then you're looking for this communicative uh, capability, which is like the, the Southwest Airlines in the United States, when they do their hiring, 
this might be the old model, but before you were brought to a room with a lot of other people, there would be a panel of 10 people in the front of the room. And the first question they would ask is, could you please stand up and share in the most exciting way you can, why you would want to work for Southwest Airlines? And that's immediately a disconnect for a lot of, I don't want to do that. I'm out the door. And the people who get up, get up, they're excited. They share their energy and to a panel that goes from pilots all the way to uh, crew that might work at a desk. And you're, yeah. they, have to be, they have to be able to communicate in a positive manner what they wish to intend to do. So here, I love that you have intertwined this into the pulsation of that resonance. I, I don't know if I said that well, but that's what I was getting out of what you just shared. Yeah, and, and that, that kind of scrutiny around who we bring in, that, that as we spoke about the paradigm of the entrepreneurs, is equally important for us to, to who we um, bring into the center. Our, our theory of change, by the way, is we find the best, we give them the best, and therefore we produce the best. So for us, it's about the selection it's the, we give them the best is, is the absolute, you know, best we can in terms of the value to them and the model and the people inside, and that produces the results. And, and we have very strong, strong results um, as a result of this. So when did you come uh, up with, when did you come up with that theory? Yeah, I'm involved with the World Economic Forum, and I'd never heard of uh, um, a theory of change before. It's like it's, everyone says, "What's your theory of change?" I felt like, "What are you talking about?" Um, it was uh, this was about uh, ten, twelve years ago at one of the forums. Everyone was talking theory of change, and so sort of came back from the forum and then um, sort of try to work out what our theory of change is. And, you know, it sounds quite simple. Give, find the best, give them the best, to produce the best. But that took me about four or five months to, to derive, you know, because you have to sort of retrospectively fit it onto some, something that you're doing and then model it and then bring it down to a simplistic theory of change. So about 10, 12 years ago. Okay. It, it's fantastic. It says a lot, and I think it helps to give – uh, what in it gives a macro tactic. It's an approach that you're using at a very high level to be able to get people to understand what they need to be working on. Then you can create tactics off of it. So yeah, that's excellent. So you had pollen. Is there any other thing that you want to add to the creation of the ecosystems? And I know we've already touched on some, but the pollinating the ecosystems. Is there yeah, other? So we spoken. I think we covered that earlier in terms of the. Um, the uh, supply development manager, the, the Rolodex days. Yep. I think we've covered the pollination. Okay. Well, which leads us finally to the progression, right? Yep. Uh, deliberate progression. So this is an interesting perspective and a lens to use on, on, the, on the model. So what you have to realize is in an ecosystem is an ecosystem is alive and evolving. It's growing and evolving. And therefore my needs just like any individual that when, you know, my needs from 10 years ago, are not my needs today. So you cannot provide the same value proposition to an ecosystem that's evolving. It has to constantly change, but that's incredibly expensive to do. 
So, you know, so you, you and, you know, you and I might be both in the same ecosystem, one of these micro ecosystems, but I might be evolving far slower than you. And so your needs are, are changing far quicker than mine. So how do you govern, how do you, uh, a system where everyone has got their own growth rates within, within that? And, and even at a more macro level, one ecosystem is evolving very differently to another one at a different average rate to another. So that posed a huge problem for us. So the way that we, we started thinking about that is this concept of a progression model, okay? So that you progress through through your different stages and effectively through the entrepreneurial life cycle. So big business has got very different needs to a small business, which has different needs to a pure startup, which is different needs to somebody who, who hasn't even thought of entrepreneurship, which is a place which we call promulgation. So we created a thing called the um, Enterprise Development Continuum, which uh, work, works like this. It starts off with promulgation, then ideation, then commercialization, then incubation, then scale. So those are the five big stages um, that, we, uh, that we have. And so promulgation is like, I never even thought of entrepreneurship as an alternative to employment or unemployment. Like just like the place in, in, the, in the continuum where you haven't even thought of it, right down, to, right up to scale, which is pretty much about a listing or IPOing uh, the business. So, and very different needs. And then we would, within that, we broke the, this all down into what we've called categories and we started off with the first category. This is also quite funny, which uh, were from incubation to, to, to scale was MEDCBA. So, so why is it MEDCBA? Why not FEDBCA? Okay. It's because uh, when we told people they entered the incubation level at F, they said, oh, I'm a failure. Why you why if when if you know it's got a very bad connotation of I failed. So we said, no, no, it's just a letter after E. It's quite arbitrary. You know, it's A is the minimum criteria to IPO on our stock exchange. And um, so F is just the way that we've got. So they didn't like that. So we changed it from F to M, which standard stands for mandatory mandatory. We just changed the letter arbitrarily. So it's A, B, C, D, E, M is, is for, and backward is the, the journey of from incubation right through to IPO. And it, in each of these categories, we deliver a different value set to the individuals in that category. And we have very specific understanding of how you move from one category to the next, what it means if you are in M, what it means if you're in E and D and so on. And so the value proposition kept changing. So no matter which ecosystem you were in, if I was in one ecosystem and you were in a different one, we could be different categories in the same ecosystem. So I could be in category uh, uh, in ecosystem one as a category E, and you could be in ecosystem two as a category D. But in your ecosystem, you could also have an M in yours and a C in yours as well. So we, and so the, we delivered value proposition within that. So we could create at scale 
uh, is, I'm, I'm, I'm very visual, so I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking now at the screen and running my hand sideways and say, so we could cut and provide a value proposition per category and then deliver it in each ecosystem at scale because we were still giving a, huge, a large number of people the same thing. So we didn't yeah. have to do it per individual. So that's how we solved that problem. And that has got also further nuance in it in that how do you progress from one category to the next? It's financial progression. It's what we call uh, your sustainability um, progression and your, your entrepreneurial development, your personal entrepreneurial development progression. And we are, have built mechanisms to measure those. So if you meet you know, a certain amount of growth or revenue growth or revenue size, that's one thing. But if you don't have sustainability built into your business, uh, then it's all very well you've grown, but you have a fire or you have a theft and the whole business collapses. So you have to have a whole bunch of sustainability, what we call sustainability bricks in the business. And then we have to look at you as an individual, how you've grown. So those three pillars are, are measured in terms of how you progress to, to the next level. So it doesn't mean that I've, I might, let's say I've a million dollars is the threshold to move into another category. I might have a million dollars, but I don't have the other two. I cannot progress until the other two are fulfilled into the next category. Is this uh, maybe not the important question, but it popped into my mind is, is it public to the ecosystem? Is it just public internally? Where, where was this shared? Because I know, I would know that Alon is in a, is a B or a, or a um, C. So, Therefore, that organization hasn't grown. How do I, is it public, uh, I guess? No, it's not public. Uh, it, it used to be, and maybe that would be, it used to be, but we, we, we so in one, sorry, in one ecosystem, it is, um, it is, uh, and in, 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 in the other ecosystem, it isn't. Um, so it's like, so depending on which ecosystem it is in, uh, the, uh, the answer is yes and no. So in the one where the, uh, and I'll give you in the equity side, yeah. it's not public. It's not public. Okay. And that's, and that's just to be frank, it's ego-based. It's about damaging people's egos that I'm yeah. bigger than you. Whereas, yeah. Um, well, that's a good, yeah. that's a good reason. I, I would want to know that. I didn't ask the question, but it's a good answer to a question I didn't ask. Is it ego-driven? It keeps it keeps it keeps the resonance going because you're not deharmonizing individuals who feel badly or poorly about where they are, and the it changes the dynamics of the interactions between individuals. Am I right? Yeah, correct. And so, therefore, you know the and also what also hides the uh, the obvious is if I, if I have a business with a hundred people and you have a euro one-man operation, theoretically, I'm at a higher level than you. But it could be that I've hit the high revenue, but um, I, I haven't hit the other two. I haven't fulfilled on the other two uh, legs of the progression model. So I could theoretically still be at your level. And so I can't really tell because the, the cards aren't all um, visible to everyone. 
So this might this be a useful example. My cousin used to work for a major institution in New York, and he had only 12 employees or in his team. But he moved up to 4% of the market at any given time. And two individuals might have created an arbitrage situation where they were making $100 million in a matter of uh, half a second because they were able to leverage. So those two people were worth a billion dollars at the end of the year, but yet you'd only see two people sitting at a desk. They didn't have secretaries and assistants doing all these things. So when you look out, you're saying, well, it's only 12 people. No, (laughs) it's, it's 12 unbelievable people who are at the creme de la creme at the, um, the Olympic level that are all working. And they were all separate, which was distinct. When he first shared it to me, he said, each one of these people are in different businesses. And I'm looking at him going, okay. Well, he says, those two over there, they're in one and this two are another. And I'm thinking, okay. And he says, they come to me. We talk about a hypothesis. We create the technology. We put them down at this. And then they manage that business. And I was, okay, I got it. I understand the content. And then he would talk about it. And then I said, well, what do those people do over there? He says, that's not part of my team. I said, what do they do? He says, I have no clue. Now, this isn't, they're, they're two meters away from this office. He says, I only know how to do my computerized arbitrage at this level and this thing. I'm expert at this. I don't know how they do what they do over there. And that's finance. Yeah. So, so you, I, I think that that's a good way to think about it. A one man operation could be 10 times more productive and possibly profitable than the hundred because they're different businesses. They're different models. They're good. Different good. Good. Okay. So uh, what else with going into this progression and, and how, well, actually, can you, you said something and I wanted to, they each, so we're still in the, um, uh, the first one, correct? We're not in the second yes, yet. Are we, did we hit the second one? You said there was a, you gave me five, the entrepreneurial development continuation. Continuum, yeah. So yes. yeah, the continuum. continuum. So no, so so that the MEDCBA was just an example of in, in um, incubation and scale, and then there's P for pre-incubation and and there's and then we, so we effectively and and X and and I for ideation and X for promulgation, and so we we effectively the the model is that is how we've dealt with this is by categorizing and then delivering to to multiple ecosystems, micro ecosystems in the same, at the same level. And so that's made it uh, us quite effective. I think, I think uh, also just added, if you've just to maybe add another dimension to the progression is that we've gone, we've taken this one step further where we've gone into education to schooling from grade R to, to, to grade 12, um, where we, own schools online and, and physical schools. And, and that's an ecosystem play as well, where they, we, we provide entrepreneurship uh, within the school as well as a, as a period and in, in each subject, in the maths, in the English, um, in the biology, in, in, in each of the subjects, there's entrepreneurship built into it. But the, the ecosystem play and the progression play is that as they leave school, then they um, perhaps go to university and then um, 
then they become an entrepreneur and our brand is strong because race corps involved there and we have got a, a relationship with one of the universities where we've so we're also trying to plug the place after school into before entrepreneur and last year was the first year where we had one of our school kids who went to our school um a few years ago applied to race corp as an entrepreneur it was it was such a, a beautiful moment it was like it was i mean there was one individual but it was just such a play like it was the highlight of maybe of the year for me is that that worked somebody left school and then it became the entrepreneur. I was actually I was going to ask that question because what I saw was a the term that came to my mind was cradle the grave. Yeah. You you are you're in the education space. They're growing through your educational program. They're learning about entrepreneurship while they're learning other disciplines when they go to university in the next step. So now what's happening is they become part of this full blown yeah I see a third ecosystem. I see ecosystem yes. number one, which is the internal, the 170. I see the secondary ecosystem is the 500, as well as, I'm going to kind of partition this in percentages, as well as the non-equity owned. So I see that as secondary yeah. because you work with them as alumni and other things. And then I see this third ecosystem, which is the is filling in from the outside opportunities that could grow into the nucleus, they can start moving towards higher and higher volume and become part of the raised system. So is is yeah. that a, do you see it that way? Absolutely. So our macro strategy is called from little to listed, listed being IPO'd. So from little, that's the, and there is a whole strategy from little, i.e. from grade uh, R right through to, to IPO. The, the terminal point is IPO, the, the starting point is grade R. And so the whole the whole long term vision, the long term plan is how do we we, we create this this ecosystem for the from a progression model point of view as you progress through your life from one thing to the next to the next. Um, so it's been. I mean, we only got into the education side recently, as in to end of twenty fifteen, um, and we've done it in a, both a digital and. A, in a physical uh, way, we've got physical schools and 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 di- digital schools and um, or online, and of course, COVID has has been has had an incredible impact negatively on the physical schools and and positive on, on the digital schools. So, you know, it's been a mixed bag of 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 results, um, but uh, it's been incredibly exciting. And in fact, today I. I uh, came from a meeting to set up a, a whole bunch of schools in more rural uh, contexts where there was still a market for, for what we're doing. And so now looking at different uh, other different geographies around this, also talking in, in Zimbabwe around education, uh, talking in Mozambique around uh, uh, e- education schools there as well. So that's going to have a life of its own. And of course, that itself becomes an ecosystem itself and like our our one business within the equity side is supporting one of the schools as i mentioned before and the accounting businesses supporting the schools and again and so everyone starts to feed again of this new ecosystem uh, i wouldn't ask this of 
uh, I wouldn't ask this of many tier four type uh, conditions in the world being one being under a dollar a day two getting some basic utilities and three having spare money being able to do and four being the industrialized complex where people have homes and cars and everything. So breaking them up, I wouldn't ask this if this was tier four Africa having the combination of one, two, three, and four. My question is, do you find a tribal sense that comes with being in Africa that's built into your system? Um, I, I would answer this, that question this way. I think what, we, what we've driven very hard is that race corp so, so let, let, let me start in a different place. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship in the 60s was poor, poor David, poor Alon. He's not too bright. <laughs> um, he, so he couldn't become an accountant. He couldn't become a doctor. He couldn't become a lawyer. So he became an entrepreneur. So the, the, the cultural relationship with entrepreneurs in the 60s globally, it was not just in South Africa or the US, it was globally, was they were sort of the, the people who couldn't get real jobs. And, and if, you, you, if your daughter brought home an entrepreneur, you know, you'd be fretting that, you know, this was the wrong individual. But in the, in the 80s and 90s, as things started to change and entrepreneurs became celebrities, and today, you know, you can't open a, a, a anything. You know, you can't switch switch on a channel on whether it's uh, internet or, or, or on TV or open a magazine or anywhere without seeing stories about Elon Musk and and uh, you know and the last story of Steve Jobs, etc. Entrepreneurs have been highly celebritized, and so what's happened now is governments across the world have, in the last fifteen years, have started to see entrepreneurship as a as a silver bullet to solve all the economic problems. And so there's been a huge amount of emphasis by governments to try and support entrepreneurs and, and, and with various efficacy. Yeah. The problem is that they've oversold entrepreneurship. So there's a 96% failure rate amongst entrepreneurs in a 10-year period. And no one mentions that too much. There's research showing that, you know, by default, if you've got the same skill set, that an entrepreneur will earn less in their, in their lifetime than somebody employed with those, those skills. No one tells you that. So entrepreneurship has been, been fetished in a way and been venerated and, 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 and made to be this, this, this beautiful thing, this uh, absolute beautiful thing, uh, but has a massive failure rate. Yeah. So everyone thinks they can become an entrepreneur. So coming back to your question, what we've been very careful to do is to say not everyone is an entrepreneur. Not everyone is a race corp entrepreneur. There's a certain type. There's a certain type of entrepreneur that can only get into race corp. And those are are far far more likely to be an authentic entrepreneur. So we've created that, let's call it that tribal belonging through our qualities by the exclusion of, of the 99, that there is some mechanism to say that I'm part of this. And they, they wear a race called badge with pride. You know, you know they mention it in their, in their business profiles because it basically says, I belong to this tribe. And that happens 
whether I'm working and we work in Tanzania in, in deep rural context there where we're doing on entrepreneurship as an alternative to poaching. So in, a, in these little villages, we do it there and we do uh, entrepreneurship with, with uh, individuals in Johannesburg with massive businesses. And they both belong to the same thing. They both have been, it's called deemed to be race corporate entrepreneurs. And you see this when, when uh, individuals move from one of our incubators, we've got 13 incubators or what we call prosperators, uh, you know, across the Southern Africa. When they, when they move, because there's, a, there's a reciprocity, you can come from one to the other and stay for free. And they talk to one another. You know, there's a sense of no matter whether you come from a rural uh, prosperator or a urban one, that we're part of the same tribe. You know, so if that gives you an answer to question, then that's you, the question, you, the you answered it in a very different way. Yet you didn't hit something. I use the word tribal only because of the business that I had in South Africa. And yeah. the conversations that I had with our team and about how tribalism is a huge part of governance, you know, who, who's in government has a tribal component to it. The, the validation of people who have achieved something often is tribal. In our conversations, there, these came up. So we were in Joburg and in Cape Town. And so when you, you, what you did is you've leveraged that tribalism or the terminology or the grouping to be able to identify these as, as connected. And I think that rings back to the residents is you're using a very well understood framework. Is that, I don't know if that's a good word for it. A well understood framework by using yeah. the word, you're part of the tribe. It's easy for someone in Africa as a continent as compared to Europe as a continent uh, to, to be able to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, so we, just to respond to that, we don't, we never language the word tribe. It's not oh, referred to okay. as a tribe. You know, it's just, it's just a, you've got blue heart, you're a blue heart entrepreneur. So the word tribe is never used. It's just that that's the label is your blue heart entrepreneur, whether no matter where you are. So that's, let's call it the name of your tribe. You know, it's just, that's blue heart entrepreneur. Um, uh, and it doesn't mean you belong to, uh, the, in fact, the, the real term that we use for them is race copians. Uh, okay. And, and <laughs> our, our team, our staff are called race corpuscles as in the, the white blood corpuscle that goes in, you know, uh, in the, but so race corpuscles are our team and the entrepreneurs are race copians. So they refer to each other as race copians. I'm a race copian or a race copian alumni and they, they all have that commonality. But just to respond to the, the whole tribal thing, in South Africa, yes, of course, tribalism is there. In, in Africa, tribalism is there. But it's, it's very much, um, it's subtle, and, it, it's the, and it's, it's, it has a hint of, in, in South Africa, of, of, of the same flavor as racism in, in a certain way, in the okay. sense that what, what South Africa is trying to do is remove tribalism from from everything, because it, it has, I would say it's not obviously anywhere near the, the, the concept of racism, but it, it has the, the, the same 
blueprint uh, as racism in that we are different and we are better than you because of whatever. So this this is not about a race. It's about it's about my tribe, my language, my culture is better than yours because of X, Y, and Z. So so South Africa is very much trying to douse that flame, and even though it's there, it's 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 scared at. It's not uh, it's something that's not spoken about. So, yeah, I appreciate that that perspective because being in South Africa multiple many times, I was able to. You've shared something in a different light because I'm often being being Jewish. People will often say, "Oh, so you're part of the tribe." It's a common phrase, and it, I've never taken it as a negative. I've taken it as they're saying, "Oh, maybe because of our last names or where we're from or something, some history." They're saying you are. It's like it's like saying you're Catholic. You're another. You're you're giving a family orientation. So I never took it negatively, and I can see how that yeah. demarcation in the on the continent of Africa could be taken that way. Yeah, especially make- because of uh, the apartheid history right. and and, yeah. and the connotation of X being better than Y because I, of whatever. Right, so, and yeah. I appreciate I appreciate that angle because I had not thought about it in that way. Bringing my own my own history, you land in a country, and I'm in Lithuania or Latvia, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, or I'm in in uh, Colombia or I'm wherever I am, and someone will meet, and you've got a similar name or a background or something comes up, and it's not an uncommon word to say, oh, so you're part of the tribe. So I appreciate the subtlety and how different that could be represented in, in your space. So yeah. when it... Uh, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you think I should know about? Um, no, I think I've shared a huge amount of uh, IP um, <laughs> today. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you were a spy, you'd get uh, t- 10 points. Uh, you've got me to express a lot of IP. Um, I, I do just maybe just to say that... Um, the, the entrepreneurship space is ever evolving uh, as, as it interfaces with the new technology and new um, zeitgeists in the, in the world, new uh, social compacts in the world, and, and it's comp- always evolving. Um, and even in the 21 years that I've been involved with Racecorp, and yeah, it, it, there's been a phenomenal change in, in, in how um, entrepreneurship is viewed, how, how the relationship uh, between government and entrepreneurs evolves uh, globally. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, and I'll give you a quick example uh, of this. Um, business plan competitions 10 years ago were all the rage. Like, like, you know, you couldn't throw a, a stone without hitting somebody who was promoting yep. a business plan competition. That, that, that genre has, and then it became pitching competitions. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and so it evolves all, all the time. So you, you just see how even within the, the, the whole entrepreneurship support ecosystem, how that too is evolving. So, and that will affect us, and I know you think in a macro way. So that that zeitgeist, that that 
thematic change in how the world is thinking about entrepreneurship affects how we think about entrepreneurship, how things are, uh, how it affects how we execute on supporting entrepreneurs. That also changes. So we are equally exposed to change. And so that means that we too need to do, if it changes from the outside, it needs to change on the inside. And if it changes on the inside, that has an impact. So it's very, very dynamic. Uh, and, and what I've seen over the years is only those that are moving, keep moving and evolving are the ones that have survived. I mean, I've been in this entrepreneurship ecosystem in particularly in South Africa for, as I say, 21 years. I've probably seen around 300 incubators start up and close in that time. Yeah. Um, some have started with massive fanfare and, you know, and just disappear very quietly. And, and I would say that the reason for that is because they have not read the market and how it's changed well. And they five years later are still selling the same goods and services that they were five years before. So even as a, as an organization that supports entrepreneurs, we too have to evolve. Uh, and I, I think that's a good way to bring it back to full circle where your mentor had said to you that look at this as the opportunity or the way you said it was, if you do not see this as the biggest opportunity of your life, it won't be. Yeah. And so that was uh, uh, two things. One was that people often say to me, and you are one of them, I've shared things that I've not shared, like the IP, where they said, yeah. I went places and I don't know if that's just the style, but I'm really interested. I mean, I've taken 16 pages of notes so far. And so I appreciate that you gave that the information. And the, the second is that it's very impressive what you've put together. And the, the I, I think it's from an audio sense, you and I are talking I I get a huge sense that if I was to dig down into each one of these categories, which we could do for days, that you would say, we have an entire construct for this. We have an entire construct for this. And so while it's a, a macro level IP, it's not a yeah. granular IP. So I know which weighting you put on one or the other. And if you're building an engine and the pistons don't fire all at the right uh, timing, the whole thing fails. So it's, you've built a, a really impressive machine and mechanism and it's, it's, uh, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. Thank you. I, Thank you. I, and you're hundred, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the, the constructs below is massive amount of thinking and software and, and uh, algorithms and rules and, all those that sit below each of, of uh, the pillars we've spoken about uh, today. Um, and, you know, we invest, you know, millions of, of, of dollars a year in, in system and in building systems and software and what we call mortality coefficients and progress coefficients. And uh, we look at a lot of a big thing for the future now, what we're building right now is models where we've got enough data points. I mean, they, we've got a, an actuary working with us right now where we've got so many data points uh, from our interviews and on, on our software that we can 
we're starting to try and determine upfront in an interview through AI um, and through various algorithms and, and machine learning as to who has got the highest probability of success before they enter race school through the, and, and who during the course of race school, what is their probability of actually completing a category? And so that's sort of the next phase. Um, and some very exciting phase that we, we're trying to once again, as I mentioned around the, um, you know, keeping up to, to, to speed with what's changing in the world, trying to use AI and machine learning in our, our industry. So what you've, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into it today, but what you just mentioned, the digesting of old data that's been taken in an analog form or in even a website page and you're clicking on something or writing something still analog type even though it's produced in a digital form it's not data driven i mean it's not going through a, uh, any algorithm to get that data is what you just talked about was the evolution of management and yeah. i'd be interested just you and i on the side is to find out whether the algorithm and it's got to be just right can do what you just said in the beginning which was to identify at a granular level what someone needed to physically go and see to be able to understand based upon the words they use the, or type or what they select or what they opt for, whatever that mechanism is. So you're almost taking a, a, a piece of management thinking and eliminating some of the extraneous off of it. So that's a that's a huge that's a huge evolutionary leap in the in yeah. the development of businesses. Yeah, it's 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 super exciting. I mean, we're in our second year. We we're entering our third year of of um, of work on this, and. Um, it's, it's, it's been so interesting because what, you, what you're trying to do is when you create, and you'll know better than I do, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these uh, data scientists, but what they, what they are, are trying to ascertain is which of the data points, what is the weighting? So they're trying of these in terms of um, predicting success. So as an example, if, if one of, I'm going to give you a little uh, uh, in, insight here a little bit more IP here is that one of the one of the things that we look at is frequency of sales. In other words, not how often it happens, but if this this month we're doing a thousand dollars and the next month we're doing ten thousand, the next month we're doing five hundred dollars, you know, and it's moving up and down, up and down. If, if, the, the, if there's a massive difference every month in terms of the the, the size of sales, that's far less valuable to a business than if you knew there was going to be a thousand dollars a month even if both produce twelve thousand dollars a year the the one that has got a thousand dollars a month is is more value as a business is more valuable and has a higher probability of success than the one that does five hundred dollars and ten thousand and then two hundred dollars and like that then the one that does it consistently but to what extent is that more valuable? Is it 20% weighting? Is it 
And this is the journey we're on. So it's incredibly exciting. It's a, it's, and even the way you brought it up, 1,000, 10,500, my mind went to, first of all, is it seasonal business? Which product are they selling? Are they selling the most profitable or are they selling the least profitable? Is it, are they, are, I jumped into my mind and quickly went to, is it trending product? Meaning it's a color, a size, a shape. Is it because there was a social interaction that happened? Is it repetitive? Meaning you could get the 500, but the 500 is consistent every month where the thousand is an anomaly and they're one, one time buy off. So, yeah. so then there's a, a larger question for me. How is your organization changing on the data analytics side? Or are you using internal of your 500 or whatever to be able to build this? We, we've got an internal department and an external uh, um, service provider. We've got, um, so we've got a, a, let's call it a, somebody who's in charge of the project internally, who's very smart and actually has all the data. He's a data scientist internally. Yep. But we're using um, the, the programming is done externally by other data scientists. So but not in your network, know. not in your network of 500. No, 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 not. Actually, funny enough, in a different, in a different network, which is one of, he's one of my mentees. So this guy is a, one of the, uh, the, the, the individual who I, I mentor um, a whole bunch of entrepreneurs outside where I don't have equity in them every year. And he is part of that, that e- little ecosystem, Will... which, we, which we call BITM, which is billionaires in the making. So he's part of that ecosystem. Will your organization change to more of this type of service offering because of what you're seeing happening? Uh, absolutely. And I think what, what um, my, my journey with, with this is, you know, it's, 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 if you're hearing these, that, these walking in the background, we have these um, prehistoric looking birds in South Africa called Adidas. There are, quite large and they are they sort of coming home to roost now so it's uh, it's coming to dusk right now and so they're all starting to arrive outside so it's a very common sound here in, in Johannesburg these adidas if you can hear them yeah anyway coming back to answering your your question um the journey that I've had with AI and and machine learning etc is that, that's for clever people and big corporates like it's 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 uh, not for I don't know how to use it I don't know what it is I don't know how to use it I don't I don't know it's, it sounds expensive and like like maybe it's just uh, something with a different name that I'm already doing so that's it was sort of the starting point of my relationship with it and then as you start going and working with it you start to understand it better and so you get to a point where uh, you you can use it. So a lot of the entrepreneurs that I'm involved in are in the same place that I was two years ago. Yeah. So as I'm becoming more confident around it, so I'm starting to talk about it in, in a way where I can actually express a real example of how I've used it and what it cost me and what it involved and what investment it took and what benefit it, it provides. So I'm still in that journey. So the answer is yes, but I don't know when. 
Well, well, it's uh, I'll make a projection. It's going to immediately filter into your 500 in certain areas. For example, the drop down menu when you're on an Amazon or you're looking up a Google search or something, the drop down menu, just the predictiveness of that is artificial intelligence. It's not a complicated artificial intelligence. So just being able to determine that. So those are additives that we're already using. And we you might not call them AI because we think about these complex capabilities to be able to decipher and discern. And, but it's just the, the, the term algorithm is confused with complication or mathematics. An algorithm is a set of instructions. That's what it is. It's just a set of instructions. Yeah. And so we already are using them. And I think that we have to, at this point in the future, I can projection will be, you'll already, you'll start adding it immediately, but within two years, you'll have some type of, some type of data analytics throughout your entire organization, looking at every organization, every group as to how you can leverage it. So yeah, no, I it, agree it's it because it's not as complicated as it sounds yet it's because of the past 20 years where ai was considered this foreign entity uh, this this really challenging thing to do but ai is starting to become like object oriented programming and what that is for those of you who don't know who are listening is to the ability to be able to make a website by just moving something the coding is done in the background no one actually sit you don't have to code like you did 20 years ago so object oriented i think in your case in the next few years you're going to start seeing this object oriented ai yeah. we already have it but we're going to be more used to using it to be able to do certain functionality. So you were brilliant today, Alan, Uh, brilliant. I've got some things that I'd like to work on with you and share with you because I, you, you definitely, you kindled some areas. You re made me reimagine some areas. You challenged me in ways that I, I definitely appreciate. So thank you uh, tremendously. And thank you for, for the opportunity. And as I said in, in the beginning, I'm exci- I was excited about this conversation because I knew I would learn. And, and you've written 18 pages of notes. I've only written one and a half pages of, of notes. But um, my excuse is I was talking way more than you. No, you you were brilliant, and uh, the value for me and is that I get to learn from some of the mo- the brightest people in the world, and and I appreciate you taking the time. So, is there for the audience who did listen in? Is there a number one best way to connect with you? Yeah, I think um, you know the, the website is raisecorp dot com r a i z c o r p dot com. Um, and my email, I'll give my email address. It's uh, Alon, A-L-L-O-N-R, Alon R, at raisecorp.com, at R-A-I-Z-C-O-R-P.com. Well, as I would, I would say in my country, R-A-I-Z-C-O-R-P. Yes. <laughs> well, and uh, living in Hong Kong, living in Europe, the, the Z, I all, sometimes I will want to use that type of terminology and having a South African partner in one of our businesses, the AI business we had. So yes, uh, for th- and for those of you who listened in, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen in. We do hope that you learn something today that will make a difference in your life and the lives of others. Always remember that you can't fix yesterday. You can only create tomorrow. 
With that said, there are a few ways to get a hold of me if you want to reach out to david at davidgoldsmith.com. You can connect to me on Twitter at, at Goldsmith. I'm on LinkedIn, David Allen Goldsmith, A-L-L-E-N Goldsmith. I'm on Facebook and the Instagram account, Mr. David Goldsmith. So for everybody, or thank you once again. And I'm David Goldsmith, and thank you for listening.